As you know, we record our, our sermons here every Sunday, and they're available on our website. Uh, normally, after a few weeks, we upload them, and uh, so you can actually hear them directly. So if you'd like to hear a message again, or you, you wanted to just go over a few things again, um, they're being recorded. Um, the problem is, when they're being recorded on something that big, it takes up half my pulpit over here, and I haven't got any room to work. So, so I stick to Apple, mate. It's a bit smaller. Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. As we continue our look uh, at the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> we'll read from verse 33 to 37 this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 to 37. Let's read. <clears throat> Again, you have heard that it has been said by them of old time... Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Let's, uh, let's pray before we get into this word. Father, we thank you once again for your precious word. And we thank you for this opportunity we have this morning to, um, to take it into our hearts. And for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher and our guide. And we'll just pray this morning that our hearts would be ready to receive that word. That the soil has been prepared so the seed may go in and grow. And we just pray that we would continue to bear fruit for you that would give you the glory, and that would touch people's lives, that they might also know who you are and turn to you for salvation. We ask this morning that we would leave this place different than when we walked in. We ask that we would leave with greater understanding and a greater knowledge of you, our Father, Lord, that we might get closer to you and to our Saviour. In his name we pray. Amen. I've shared my testimony with many of you um, <clears throat> and if I've shared, if we've had enough time to share my, if I've had enough time with you to share my testimony in the past, I've probably mentioned this part of it to you. One of the first things <clears throat> that uh, the Lord started convicting me on, or working in my heart with, when I was in my second year of university, um, was my sin. And I knew, I knew the Lord. I knew the Lord's word. And at that stage, I was fully convinced that he was the right way. You see, for the first year and a half of university, I was, I was, when you go to that sort of place, you're exposed to a whole range of different ideas, different religions and faiths and, and stuff like that. So I spent a lot of my time actually studying those things. Um, but I became fully convinced of the truth um, around the middle of the, um, of the second year. It's the year I met Mary as well, for those of you who don't know. Like, two good things happened to me in the same year. And... I was convinced of the gospel and I knew that the law of God was convicting me and that I was guilty before God as a sinner. So one of the things I decided to do, rather foolishly, was I, to identify the sins that were a problem in my life and I wanted to sort myself out before I came to God. You like that? It's a normal thing that people do, isn't it? Before I come to God, I'm going to fix my life up. <clears throat> well, I started with the first one. And I had a problem when I, was, um, when I was around that age of swearing. Right? I used to swear, use profanity, use different language, use language that, that we wouldn't use in this church and now wouldn't use at all. And the reason I would do that is at university I was fundamentally insecure. Okay? I was a very shy person, very shy. So when I was in a group of other people, um, my peers and those sorts of things, and we were in, in that sort of setting, I'd be shy. So what I would do to make myself feel, you know, to impress them a little bit more, I'd throw in some colourful language to embellish the story or whatever I was telling them. You see, they were doing a very similar thing and I could tell later on that many of them were insecure and the reasons they were actually using foul language was that they wanted to just impress everyone else and how tough they were. Well, I tried for a while to stop swearing and I'll 
let you know quite plainly I failed. Because when I found myself in the same situation over and over again, I wasn't thinking rationally enough or clearly enough, so I'd fall back in the same habit over and over again. And it became quite frustrating for me, even to the point where, uh, where one person actually rebuked me and said, you, know, you swear a lot. Now, I, I didn't grow up swearing, to be honest with you. I, there weren't many things that I got involved with. I never smoked and I, I really wasn't a drinker at all and I didn't get involved in a lot of stuff that went on at university. But this is a problem that I realised God would not be happy with. This was something that I had that I wanted to fix up and I failed miserably at that. And I thought to myself, if I can't even fix up the words that I speak that come out of my mouth, what hope do I have of getting into heaven? And God later showed me that it wasn't me that I had to fix myself up. That I had to come to him humbly with all my faults and all my sins and say, save me, Lord, a sinner. And he did. And the night that I gave my heart to the Lord, a funny thing happened. I stopped swearing. I stopped swearing just like that. Never swore. And it was without effort. Which for me was an amazing thing. And maybe God gave me a bit of a sign to say, yeah, you're, it's genuine. I've done a work in you already. Now there were other things in my life that needed to be sorted out, but that was something that stood out to me so much because I couldn't change that one thing. When I gave my heart to him, he changed it for me. And God does that. And many of you have had similar experiences where God changes your heart completely. And, and in some cases, dramatically overnight, in some cases, slowly and gradually, you see this change where God works in your heart. Now, what's this, this, what does the story have to do with this? Well, everything and nothing, really. Because when you read in this, this passage, but I say unto you, swear not at all, it has nothing to do with profane language. It's not profane language he's speaking about here. This type of swearing that he's talking about is swearing like an oath. I swear to you. You know, that sort of thing. But... The root cause is sometimes the same. The cause of why people say, I swear to you, or I'm telling you the truth, or by this or by that, I, I, I promise you I'll do it. It's possibly the same thing that I had this problem with. And just to, just to give you a bit of a, um, bit of a background... Verse 33 says, Again, ye have heard that it's been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oath. Now, there are, uh, there are a number of words that when this, this book was translated for us, you know, in 16, 1611 to be exact, that we don't tend to use as often these days. And that word forswear is not something we, we tend to use that often. But that word for swear means basically committing perjury or swearing falsely. So in other words, it basically means don't make a commitment, don't make a promise or an oath that you don't intend to keep. Okay? So what it's basically saying is, thou shalt not forswear thyself. In other words, don't make a false promise, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oath. So if you'd made a, an oath to the Lord, you'd better keep that oath. Because God will hold you accountable for the promise that you have made to him. In other words, forswearing is something like he swore that he would lead them home safely, but he never had any intention of doing it. That person has forswore. It's lying about a promise that was being made. Now the command, it says there, Thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. The command said, don't purge yourself. Don't lie. Don't exaggerate when you're making a, a promise to God, but you'd better mean what you promise. When you make a commitment to God, you'd better follow through on that because thou shalt perform thine oaths unto the Lord. You'll be held accountable for every word that you say. And we've been looking at this as we've been looking through the actual um, the Sermon on the Mount We've been discovering that when Jesus took a command from the Old Testament, and we've been through a couple of them already, he revealed the depth of that law and how much it really meant for people and how much people had actually neglected the real meaning of it. And once again, he does the same thing over here. You see, the command was never take an oath. It didn't say that. It didn't say thou shalt not make an oath. Thou shalt not swear. Thou shalt... It doesn't say that in the Old Testament. 
And we'll look at a few of those in the beginning, uh, a bit later on. But it does say how you should do it. It does go to the heart of the problem. When, when, what Jesus brings out here is not the act of doing it, but it's rather the intent of when you do it. And then he offers a very simple solution for people. And the Bible has many oaths scattered throughout it. If you read the Old Testament, you will see many places where people swear to actually make an oath or a promise to each other. God, made, God himself made a promise to Abraham. He made what we call a covenant, and it was in the form of an oath. And the interesting thing is that God was binding himself in, with an oath to Abraham, and he actually performed a similar ceremony to what the, the, the people in those days did when they were making an oath that strong. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the passage. We won't go there because it'll just take us way too long. But when you made a covenant with someone and it was a serious promise, you, got, or you would actually cut up a number of animals. You'd, you'd slaughter some animals. You'd cut them in half. And then you'd lay out each half on each side and you would walk through those dead animals together, those, those halves of those animals together. And basically what you were saying, if I'm... If I'm making an oath to someone else and we promise to be in this together or do whatever it is or to be with each other a certain way, you would walk up and down in between those dead animals together. And it was almost like saying, if I don't follow through on this promise, may the same thing happen to me that's happened to these animals. Pretty hard stuff. But when God made a promise to Abraham, he did the same thing. He got Abraham to get these animals to kill them, slaughter them, cut them in half. But you know what he did? When God makes a promise, he didn't get Abraham to walk through those, those halves with him. He put Abraham to sleep. Abraham slept. He goes, Abraham, you've done your job now. You go to sleep. And then he caused Abraham to dream. And Abraham saw a, a, a flaming a torch pass between those animals. And God was making a promise by himself to commit to Abraham. And if you don't know about that promise, you might want to read up on it one of these days. Joseph, when he was in Egypt, when he was reconciled back to his family, remember his brother sold him off as a slave and he was reconciled and they came back and he was in a very powerful position in, in, um, in Egypt. When he brought all his family back to Egypt... He made them promise him, he made them swear an oath that when he died and they would return one day to that promised land, that, he, that they would bring back his bones with them. And they did. They did. You know when they were travelling down, oh sorry, through the, um, when, when Moses came along and, and you had Mount Sinai and they travelled through the wilderness for all those years, you know whose bones they were carrying for 40 years? Joseph's bones. They fulfilled the promise and the oath they'd made. We find another covenant, another oath that was made between Jonathan and David. And for some of you who know, or for those of you who know, well, Jonathan was Saul's son and, and Saul was out to kill David. But Jonathan and David had the strongest relationship and they made an oath to each other, despite the family not agreeing. Thus, a swearing of oaths is a very common thing in the Old Testament. And in New Testament times, people were making oaths regularly. But something was a little bit different. You see, the oaths that we read about in the Old Testament were, in a sense, very genuine oaths. The promises that were made were like... What's another word for genuine? <laughs> Sorry? They were sincere. Completely sincere. But by Jesus' day, something had happened. People were swearing and promising and doing this and doing that on a daily basis. They made that which was meant to be holy and, and right and good into something that was profane and used every day. So when you use something every day, it becomes common, the Bible calls. And that's what had happened by Jesus' day. They were making promises and swearing here and, and making oaths there to prove to people that their words were true. And these oaths would normally involve calling down a curse upon yourself if I didn't follow through on what I promised. 
Or if I wasn't telling the truth, may God strike me dead. You, you've heard those sort of things, haven't you? Well, they were very common in Jesus' day. And they were basically two types. May God do so and so to me if I'm not telling you the truth. Or if I don't intend to fulfill this promise. Or may I die if this doesn't happen. So people were calling down curses upon themselves if they didn't follow through or if they weren't telling the truth. They would swear by heaven, by Jerusalem, by the temple, by the altar in the temple, the gold in the temple. They'd, they'd swear by all different things, God's throne, God himself. But something was happening. Because they weren't using God as much. They started off using God and they realised, hang on a sec, if I, if I make a commitment and I'm swearing by God, he's going to be my judge. So what they started to do was actually swear by a few other things. The throne of God. The altar. The temple. And these things were so commonly used and abused in Jesus' day that he goes straight to the heart of the problem. But why would people feel the necessity to make oaths and to swear so often? Well, it's the same people seem to be doing today. They're disingenuous. People are genuinely, genuinely, or generally disingenuous. They're not real about their promises. They're hasty to make promises and not really follow through on them. People are prone to lying and exaggerating to make their point and to have others believe them. So what they do is they, they'll throw in, I swear it's the truth. The fish was this big. It comes down to a matter of integrity. Would people really believe them if they weren't embellishing the story and they weren't invoking swears and oaths and, and other things of that nature? I often worry when people come to me or when people speak to me, someone that I've, I've speak to on a regular basis, and they say, oh, to be really truthful with you, okay, or let me be totally honest with you, well, the real truth of the matter is, yeah, when people say those things to me, the question arises in my heart, were you not telling me the truth before? Were you not being honest with me before? Or it's as if someone who repeatedly says, I'm telling you the truth here, or I promise you, or I swear to tell the truth. Are they really the type to actually be telling the truth? If someone has to continually reinforce that they're telling the truth, what is that person really saying about what they believe their integrity is all about? And this is the core problem that Jesus was addressing here. That people generally lie. People lie. They embellish the truth. They cover things up. They give you half the story in order for, to, to keep other people in the dark. They'll lead you on a, a slightly wrong track so you don't get the full picture. And this is the problem that Jesus was addressing in the Sermon on the Mount. Are you a man or woman of your word? Are you a man or woman of your word or do you have to invoke God's throne and the temple and everything else that comes along with it to simply make your point? For, for people to simply believe you. When you say yes or no, do people normally take it as the truth? Or do you have to go out of your way to try to convince them by embellishing or exaggerating or swearing? Jesus was addressing the propensity of people not only to lie in this passage, but the outright tendency to profane the holy as well, to improve their status in the eyes of men. In other words, people, Jesus understood, when they're in a corner, or when they're being caught out with something, or when they're trying to improve their status in front of other people, will just about sell out anything. They'll almost say anything to get themselves out of trouble. They'll almost say anything to make themselves look good in front of the people. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because the temptation is there. When you're caught out with something that you shouldn't have been doing or shouldn't have been saying, the temptation is to try to cover it up. And this was common in Jesus' days as it, as it is today. 
Now, I'll read a few passages from the Old Testament about what God said about oaths and swearing. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, it says, And you shall not swear, not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. So God didn't disallow the use of his name being used in a vow, but he did forbid his name being used when you weren't genuine about it. When you were making a... Uh, when you're invoking God to be a witness against you, God says, you better be very sure about what you're saying here. Because if you invoke my name as a witness against you and you don't keep it and you profane my name so that other people think that, that I haven't come through on my side of the bargain, then you'll pay for it. In Numbers 30 verse 2, it says, If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, so he makes a promise to God, with his life, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. So if you made a direct promise to God, God expects you to keep your promise. Deuteronomy 23, 21 says, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. That's just an interesting word, slack. You know, there are, there are a, lot of, um, a lot of words that you know, have changed their meaning over time. But when someone's slack, 400 years ago, it's the same slackness that we find today. God says, don't be slack if you make a promise to pay it. And we find an example of this in the New Testament. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Where God judges because a promise had been made and not kept. <coughs> Acts chapter 5 verse 3 says, But Peter said, we won't go through the whole story, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. So Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, had a block of land, and to help the church out, they said, we're going to sell the land and give the, the church the money. That's a nice thing to do, isn't it? But instead of what they did, and they, told, they made this as a promise to the church. So what they did is that they sold the block of land, kept the money for themselves, and gave a part of the money to the church. And Peter says, why did you have to lie about that? Wasn't it always yours anyway? You could have said, I'm going to give part of the money to the church. But instead, to make themselves look good in front of everyone else, as if they were sacrificing a whole lot, they promised the whole amount. And then when they didn't come through, they were judged. And Peter says, you weren't lying to us. You were lying to God. And that follows through in the same law that God gave in the Old Testament. If you make a vow to the Lord thy God, don't be slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it is it will be a sin in thee. So what's the whole point of all these, all these passages? Well, it's basically people need to be truthful and faithful. Oaths, vows, and the practice of swearing in the Old Testament were not disallowed by God, but were only meant to be in the most solemn and serious decisions. Not ones that were made flippantly at the last minute or never really meant at all. You've seen these, um, this happen before, haven't you? You're either on TV or in real life with a man who is facing some sort of a challenge in his life and might be dying or is in some sort of a threatening moment, promises to God, God, if you save me, just save me, just give me one more chance and I'll be a different man. You've heard those sort of things before, haven't you? And inevitably, what happens? They get out of that situation. There's no more life-threatening uh, uh, drama. And they forget about the vow they made. They forget about the promises. That's what he's talking about. 
that people make rash decisions and, and in the heat of the moment, or people make them flippantly day by day. So the Old Testament insisted that a person must be truthful when they swore an oath, and they must truly mean it. And not just that, that they had to be faithful to keep it right to the end and fulfil it. Truthfulness in the heart was stressed in the Psalms and the Prophets as well. Psalm 15.1 says, Psalm of David, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. And the prophets often bemoaned the lack of truths in people's hearts over and over again. God says, on the, outward, on the outside, you behave this way, you know, but deep down, you're full of sin and lies and corruption. Jeremiah says, Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and see now and know and seek in the broad places thereof if you can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. And though they say the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. God knew they were swearing. They were saying, as the Lord liveth, I'm telling you the truth. As the Lord lives, I will do this or that. And God said, you're all lying. The truth is not in your heart. So we come to Jesus' day now. And how are the Pharisees, the religious teachers of the day, and the, the scribes, the, the Sadducees, the, 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 the lawyers of Jesus' day, how did they interpret these laws? How did they say they had to be followed? Well, they basically maintained the same status quo. They didn't pull up the people and say, hang on, you shouldn't be doing that at all. They allowed this thing and this game to go on. And if you, look at, if you look at it, what's implied here is that they were totally misusing the whole thing. Because it says in verse 34 of Matthew chapter 5, But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is, foot, is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. You know what they were doing? They were basically teaching the people that if they made, if they made an oath by God, that was binding. But if you made an oath by something else that was related to God, like the temple or the altar, you had a grading scale that wasn't as binding as God. So they were careful about, for example, invoking God because hey, they were going to, you know, if they messed that one up, they were going to get in trouble. But you know something? I could swear by the temple. And God's really not going to punish me as much as if I was invoking his name. So depending on how committed they were to this promise or this truth, they would invoke all different types of things. But turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. And we'll see what Jesus says about them swearing by all these things. Now, Jesus now directly criticises the teachers of the day. And he says in Matthew 23, 16, Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. You fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever... Sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether, whether is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctified it. Do you understand what was going on? They were saying, the, the priests and the religious leaders of their day were saying, you know something? If you swear by the, by the temple, right, it's not really binding. Or if you swear by the altar, it's not really binding. But if you swear by the gold, oh, that's been sanctified. So... You'd better, you know, you might be held accountable for that. So people were swearing by all these different things, depending on how serious they were. And that was used in common day language. And the people got into a habit of swearing by many things, depending on how serious or how much they wanted to invoke truthfulness on their part. 
but deep down they weren't serious at all about what they were saying. It became, they were taking what was holy and making it more and more and more common by their common usage of it. I mean, because of this distinction, daily conversations were often spiced with meaningless oaths. I swear by heaven. I swear by the throne of God. I swear by the earth, by Jerusalem, by the altar, by the temple, by my head. But Jesus says, I'm not so concerned about your swearing. I'm concerned about your heart and the truthfulness that comes out of it. The Pharisees were teaching that some oaths were more binding than others, but they missed the point completely. The people were making that which was meant to be holy and, and, and sincere. They turned to something that was daily and, and they were thrown in the gutter. In Matthew chapter 23, he reminds us that no matter what we swear by, we are swearing by the same thing God has made. In other words, whether you're swearing by the temple, by the altar, by even your head, you know something? You're swearing by God at the end of the day. Because God owns all those things. And you don't. So nothing but the truth should ever come out of our mouths. And Jesus says there's really no reason for oaths or vows at all. The system of using oaths had been corrupted. It had been completely decayed. And he initiates a very radical solution. It says in verse chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. In the end, anything you swear by becomes an oath to God. God measures your words, whether you announce it as, a, as an oath or anything else. God still holds you accountable for your words. And Jesus repeats that. He said, every idle word that men speak shall be given account. They have judgment. I'll show you what the, the foolishness of actually making an oath. If I was making a promise to someone, right, and using... God's God to actually invoke that thing, that, that promise. Imagine I made a promise to Eddie, all right, that I would paint his house. Made him a promise and, and he was going to organise his family to move out of the home. And I said to him, if I, don't, if I don't finish that painting by the weekend, I'll give you the keys to my home and you can live in my home. Do you think I could fulfil that promise? Well, it depends on whether I can paint or not. I can paint, can't I? No, not too bad. Can I finish his house, whole house in a weekend? That's a bit dubious, right? But I could possibly follow through because what I'm saying is if I don't finish the job, I'll give you my house to live in. I can do that because the house is mine. But what about, what about if I said to Eddie, I'll paint your house and if I don't finish it by the weekend, I'll give you the keys to Greg's house. Now, Greg either is going to start worrying or he's not. Because in the end, I don't have the keys to Greg's house, do I? I don't own Greg's house. Greg owns his own house. So when a person makes a vow by heaven or by God or by his throne or by even the head or the hair that you have or you don't have on your head, let me ask you a question. Do you really own it? By what standard do you think you can, you can use this as a surety for your promise and your oaths? You can't. In fact, to, to actually invoke God in those things without his permission, it'd be like me saying to Greg, you know, I'm, Greg, I'm going to use your house without even asking him, making a promise of Greg's house without actually having ownership of the thing. Every oath in the end involves God because he is pure and simply a witness of every word we say. Whether we invoke him or whether we invoke our heads or whether we invoke our houses or whatever it is, 
And I've heard people in the last few years invoke their families. If I don't, I swear by my family, by my wife, by my kids. Have you heard those sorts of things before? I've heard those things. And actually, I get shocked where people would make a promise and actually say that I'm willing to sacrifice my family if I don't come through. And the idea that someone can swear by their own head is interesting because Jesus says you can't even change one hair colour. You can't change one of your hairs from going from white to black or black to white. Now the ladies are thinking to themselves, yeah, I do it every week. But the truth is you're not doing it every week. You're actually colouring that hair. But what do you have, why do you have to do it every week or every whatever it is? The truth is you can't change the hair colour that's, that's growing out. That's why you have to keep on doing it. And the interesting thing is 2,000 years on, we still can't change the hair colour. <laughs> on purpose. Anyway. Now turn with me to James chapter 4, verse 13, because James really reinforces this same idea that we really can't promise anything because we have almost no control over our tomorrow. Not only do we not have control over our assets, ourselves, or God, or anyone else of that matter, we can't control what's going to happen tomorrow. So James says in chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Go to now. Have you got that? Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there for a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapour that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. <coughs> for ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. The truth of the matter, you don't own or control your future. Or you may think you do. But in the end, it's not even yours to give because you don't own yourself. And your tomorrow is in God's hands, not yours. So if God allows you to do something, then you will do it. Jesus in, chapter, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, but let your communication be yea, yea, yes, yes, nay, nay, no, no. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. If you say yes, then mean yes. If you say no, then you must really mean no. End of story. Any more than this, Jesus says, you're risking sin and is evil. And James supports it in his epistle as well. He says in James chapter 5, verse 12, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. So Jesus exposed the hypocritical way they were using oaths in his day. And he commanded them, forget about oaths, don't make oaths. Because when you make an oath, it's inevitable. You can't keep it or you don't even know if you're telling the full truth. And if you run the risk of doing that, why risk it at all? Why risk God's judgment by doing that? And he says, don't make any oaths at all. Just be truthful and honest in your everyday conversations. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Some of you remember the Dr. Seuss story. Who's, heard of, who's seen, I think it came out in the movie, Horton Hatches an Egg. Remember Horton? Does anyone know? Am I the only one who reads Dr. Seuss around here? Yes. Some of the people are willing to join with me. Well, Horton was an elephant who promises to sit on an egg to hatch it for a bird. Okay? That's a Dr. Seuss. Don't, don't criticise me. This is the story. As the days and weeks go by, Horton just keeps on sitting there on this egg. And all of his friends encourage him to forget the promise. Don't be silly. What are you promising to sit on an egg for? You're promising it's ridiculous, you know, an elephant sitting on an egg. And they said, come and play with us. Forget about the egg. You're not a bird. You're an elephant. 
And his response was, does anyone know? Alan, you better not know it. Okay, good. Someone's putting up their hand. Is that you, Rocky? You know, okay. You might have heard this. He says, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant is faithful 100%. I like that. I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. An elephant is faithful 100%. Jesus expects us to do similar. When you make a promise, when you say, I will do this or do that, Jesus expects us to be faithful 100%. Don't worry about making vows. Don't worry about all the other stuff and invoking this or invoking that. If you're a person of your word and people recognise you as a person of your word, they won't expect you to even make an oath. Now, it's inevitably going to come down to this, though, because people always ask this question, but what about oaths in court? What about when someone says, you know, put your hand in the Bible and swear by the Bible? Well, I don't have a definitive answer for that, other than saying, I would rather take the safe course in this one over here. I would rather, if, if someone put a Bible in front of me and said, swear on that Bible, even though I, had, I might have had every intention of telling the truth, I would probably say, I would rather make a confirmation or an affirmation. Because I would rather not put myself in a position where the word of God, I'm, I'm judged because the word of God, I missed something or I forgot something, I didn't tell the full story, and I was judged because of that. So I would rather follow Jesus' suggestion or command and don't swear at all. Because we still wrestle with the flesh, we need to be mindful that we do not bind ourselves with oaths we can't keep or call God as a witness when we can, at best, be forgetful or biased in our observations. I mean, who here is completely unbiased about, about everything? No, everyone's got their slant in the way they see things, don't they? And sometimes the slant that we see from isn't the, co the correct slant. So it'd be better not to make an oath. But Jesus wasn't focusing on those sorts of things anyway. What Jesus was focusing on was people making flippant oaths swearing all the time and promising things they knew they couldn't keep. There is a true story of a woman named Mary who had gone shopping. And when she finished shopping, she went out into the parking lot to her car and sure enough, the keys were locked in the car. All right? Mary went back inside, all frustrated, and called her husband to come and bring the other sets of keys with him to drive there and bring the set. She then went out to the car and checked, you know, you go and check the doors. And sure enough, one of the back doors was unlocked. Knowing her husband was already on his way, and knowing that he would be a bit upset that she made him drive across town when the door was already open, guess what Mary did? She opened the unlocked door, locked the thing, and then shut the door as well. Now, you may never have done that, but people do that sorts of things all the time to cover up their mistakes. They might sound like amusing, but people do those sorts of things all the time to cover up the mistakes they have made. And it's because of pride or the desire to impress others or not look foolish in front of other people. We try to cover up our mistakes. Sometimes we have a hard time admitting we've made a mistake because it means we have to our pride is dented but the Bible says that we need to stop lying one to another the Bible says and tells us to be truthful one with the other we need to be always speaking the truth but in love and it doesn't necessarily mean that you know, if someone asks me a question about something I need to give them every specific detail about everything that went on otherwise I'll never finish speaking but it does mean it does mean that when I say something to someone, I'm not purposely leading them off the, the truth. Secondly, we need to be more diligent in telling the truth and being honest in our dealings with others outside of this church. It's especially important when we deal with people outside of this church that we are always, always truthful. It's tragic when people who aren't Christians hear people who call themselves Christians 
speak something that's other than the truth. There's a story of a Dave and Tom who lived in the same town. Dave attends church every Sunday. Tom has not been to church in 30 years. Dave reads the Bible every day. Tom doesn't own a Bible. Dave usually listens to the local Christian radio station. Tom doesn't know a single hymn. Dave picked up some material at the local hardware store and told the owner he would pay for it within a month. Tom owns the local hardware store. Three months have passed and the bill has not been paid. Dave invites Tom to church on Sunday. Tom stays home and watches TV. What we do, the integrity in our lives, affects those people around us. We need to always, always be seeking. If we, you know, I've learned in business sometimes it's better to promise less than deliver more. It should be the same with our lives. Sometimes we promise a whole lot and we deliver part of it. We can't be like that. Not with ourselves, not with people, especially in this world. Because they see, if they see in us any lies, deception or lack of integrity, who does it reflect on? It doesn't just reflect on us. It reflects on him. And this is the moral of the story, the moral of the sermon is that we should be people of integrity, living lives of integrity. Let's let our yeses be yeses and our noes be noes. So when people listen to us, they can trust us. You know, there's only one who can keep his promises, don't you? There's only one who, when he makes a promise, always fulfills it and has the capacity to fill it. Because I can't change my tomorrow. I can't even manage my tomorrow. But there is one who manages not only yesterday, today, he manages tomorrow as well. He knows when he makes a promise, he does it faithfully, and his intentions are always true, and that's God. And God made us a promise. And he fulfilled the promise when he sent his son into this world to die for our sins. He made that promise a long time ago, even way back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned. And he's been promising it for a number of years. And then 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to fulfill that promise. And that promise is still alive today. The promise is to everyone and anyone who will come to Christ and accept him as their Lord and Saviour. Understanding that they are heaped with sin and they can't save themselves. But God offers salvation not by works. He offers salvation not by your efforts. Because if it's by our efforts, we have no chance of getting into heaven. But God says, here's a gift I've given you. And that gift was packaged up, was wrapped up in, the, in a flesh. In the flesh of man, and it was my son that I gave for you. I gave his life that you might, I gave his life that you might have life. Now the question is, have you accepted that promise? Do you sit or stand here today having believed in the promise of God because he will never leave you nor forsake you? If you have that promise in your heart, the Bible says that God will never leave you nor forsake you. The Bible, give, the Bible says that God is your protection. He says, I am thy shield. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will, when he puts you forth, he will lead you. The Bible says that he will give you rest. The Bible says he, he will give you cleansing from all of your sin. doesn't matter what you've done in the past. doesn't matter how many exaggerations or lies or things you've done in the past. God will heal you and completely cleanse you. God will not hold anything good from you. The Bible says that God will com be completely faithful to you. The Bible says that God will give you guidance and God has a plan for you to do good to you. Now, if you don't know those promises in your heart today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your saviour, then today is the day that you need to know him. Because, like I said before, we can't control our tomorrow. You may die tomorrow as you leave this place. You may not be here in a week's time. And God offers you an opportunity to be given salvation and heaven and a relationship with him as a gift. All you have to do is accepted.
If you haven't accepted that gift today, then please don't leave here without accepting Christ as your saviour and having all of your sins forgiven. There's no better gift. And there's no better promiser than God. He comes through on every promise. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we once again thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness. And we thank you for this word. We thank you for the faithfulness of our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who was willing to go to the cross, to shed his blood, and to have it nailed with nails on that hard wood. Father, we pray that if there be any here this morning that don't know you as their Lord and their Saviour, who doesn't know their eternal security, doesn't have <coughs> that confidence, Father, I pray that they would, even now, that your spirit be working on their heart, convicting them of their sin and teaching them about the righteousness that comes from God. Father, I pray if there are any here, Lord, who are struggling with their war, who are struggling with telling the truth, I pray that you would be working in their hearts even now. I pray that they would forsake whatever it is that's holding them from having a close relationship with you, that they would forsake that sin, turn away from it, and embrace you with all their heart and with all their might. And Father, I pray that you bless this church. I pray that you bless our fellowship time now. And as we seek to live as your son in this world, I pray that we would, in everything we do, give you the glory, the honour and the praise because you deserve every part of us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let Tom, would you come and share a last song with us?